Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant? Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dave Clay. Yes, <laughs> sad to say, possibly. Depends on whose perspective, who you ask. I am a father, <laughs> and I do have a son. I only have one child. He is no longer a child. He is a young adult, uh, and he is indeed a son. And with that, then, we had to, <laughs> at some point, choose a name for our son. And uh, we picked the name Samuel. <laughs> we also, uh, and that's his given name, of course. First name, his middle name is Aaron. <laughs> if you know anything about the Word of God, you're already knowing uh, a bit about our intents or thoughts. Oh, look at this son that you've given us, Scott. Uh, we're going to commit him, commemorate him, I guess. Commit him, and in that commemorate, <laughs> that's the right way to say that, our love for you, our desire to give back to you what you've given us. And there's no greater aspiration, I think, I believe, in uh, at least my intention, I believe my wife would agree, as to have a son that would serve the Lord. And I'm not sure that any, that would be any different than any other believer or any other Christian. We just wanted to punctuate it. Samuel Aaron. And with that, whichever role God would choose for him, we wanted to give him a namesake that seemed to capture at least that intention of not only serving God, but serving God in the highest of orders. Now, he's a young adult, and to this extent, I've not seen the fullness of that fruit. I wish that I could that tell you that he has, from the day he was born, we could see the Lord all over him, as with the anointing in him, out of him. He's been in the church and serving God and whether it's singing in the choir or, you know, attending classes, uh, even maybe at this point in his life teaching classes. That's not the case. <laughs> and so there is a bit of a contrast there with what, at least in my mind, why God had given us a son. And even that's a bit of a, a story. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't want to say bore you with it. It's not a boring story. It's a great testimony, actually. But it's not your son, and it's not your daughter, and it's not your child. And <laughs> why do I need to get on a podcast to tell you all about my life? I want to make it, however, relatable to your life so we'll say this, it was not without much prayer and fasting that we came to a conclusion, albeit even so, a bit later on in life, to have a child. I have, I, that was not any of my wife's doing. Uh, she was quite confident. Uh, and you know what they say, when ignorance is bliss, uh, the idea is she may or may not have seen all the things that I thought I saw that it took to raise a child in the proper way of the Lord. And maybe that's a blessing. 
not that she's ignorant, but she's just not going to pay any attention to those things. She's a woman of great faith, and with that, she was going to proceed forward or has chosen to proceed forward with the whole venture without much reservation. I, on the other hand, am quite capable of great reservation. And with that, it was of some struggle to make that decision because the last thing I wanted to do was mess somebody else up. (laughs) And then with that, I always, again, held these great aspirations of my son would do better than me. He would serve the Lord better than me. He would do all the things that God would have called him to do better than me. And that would be both with passion, purpose, mission, commission, ordination even, and then with fruit. I wanted to have an Elijah, Elisha, although Elisha was not his son biologically, at least not to my knowledge, but I wanted to have that or a Paul Timothy. And again, that's not a biology thing. It's a God thing. And maybe that's the whole point of the podcast. Um, I did the best I could in instilling what I thought were, from ground up, the best foundational sort of elements, and still am quite hopeful and prayerful that he will fulfill (laughs) my greatest aspirations. But that's the whole point. I don't know what he's going to be. I just have to, as my wife would, does, just believe that we've committed him to the Lord and We've done that out of the best of our heart, and we've raised him the best way we can, and one day he will fulfill. (laughs) Not what I want him to be, but what God really has created him to be, and I have no doubt about that. But one thing (laughs) that all of this should come to is, I've not been at all passive in any of this. The decision to have a child, again, came with much reservation, not only because I did not want to mess another person up, but if I'm going to have a child, if I'm going to have anything of that in that most elemental way, participating in God's greatest of glories, and that's not only creativity, but the birth of a child, a birth that... Not only my child, but any parent should celebrate. I'm going to do that with purpose, (laughs) desire, and with that trust that my passion, my intention, not at all passive, is hopefully going to at least contribute to maybe it's just me believing in him. And though he's not exactly figured out what he's going to be yet or claimed it for himself, I don't want him to think I don't believe in him. I don't want him to think that I am not 100% behind him. I just want him to know he's committed to the Lord. And thus I gave him, we gave him, we agreed on the namesake, Samuel Aaron. And in that spirit, I suppose... Uh, I would like to go to 1 Samuel, and then even more specifically, I'd like to go to the first chapter of 1 Samuel, 
And with that, I'd like to go to a particular verse. And I need to find it here where Hannah was actually praying before the Lord. And with that, asking for God to really take care of a very personal problem of her own. And that was, she had no kids. And even so, that as much that she had no children, I'm sure she was left with kind of that same degree of reservation that I began with. She probably found it somewhere along the way when her her womb was not fruitful. And what is that? What am I doing wrong? Why don't I have a son? And more so than if you don't have one, how can you give them a name? And more so than how could you, even in giving them that name, uh, reveal your greatest of intents, the intents of your heart, and with that commit them to the Lord? And with that, then trust that the Lord will take them and deliver them in his way. Look, I have a child. It's from God. And use that opportunity or employ that opportunity to do great things. And what's the opportunity? I didn't steal him. Uh, I, with all my heart, mind, soul, and spirit, not only did I not steal what God was intentioned to do, through and with him. At least I hope I haven't. He's still young, so I don't know. And that's the point, right? I don't know yet. But I sure wasn't going to let the devil steal him. And in that way, Hannah had to answer the question, why? Why don't I have one? Especially when, when I don't know what you'd call it, uh, her, her sister wife, I guess is what we call it today, was so fruitful. And I'll go to, as with 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Probably should speak to us a bit about where Eli's mind was. Of course, he was a judge. He was a priest. And with that, he was quite used to making judgments. But also with that, I don't know that that's a good judgment. (laughs) I know it's not a good judgment. Why? Because this is what Hannah answered. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Bilel. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let not thine, or let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. I want to correct that. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat 
and her countenance was no more sad. So to set this up properly, as much as again, Hannah had visited Eli, and it was of course all part of that offering that all good Hebrew people would then take or participate in of returning unto God <laughs> in some measure or way, some element of thanksgiving. And with that then, that the thanksgiving was about not only what God had given them, but with that, the great hope of, again, continuing to serve God, they would continue to be purposeful. They would have some opportunity to themselves continue to bear fruit, that they would be blessed. I think that's important to acknowledge, if only because... Hannah had again yet to this point not been blessed. And as much then she knew that that was important. And I would want to say she was also not very passive with her great desire to have a child. And even more so was not very withholding or made it very clear in all her intentions. The child was not just for her. The child would be for the Lord. And with that, she was offering what should be offered, the first fruits. And she was doing that in the most sincere and genuine, honest of ways. And how do we know that? Because she did as much as I read to you the conversation between her and Eli, she'd gone to the priest for this very purpose. And yet the priest himself, Eli, was disregarding, thinking that she was somehow drunken. Uh, You could say, well, he didn't know the backstory. He, He made a superficial... But he was the priest. Superficial judgment. He was the priest. You would think that he, amongst anyone of all of them that might be involved, that would have known the story of Hannah, would have known. God would have somehow let him know <laughs> that though he was certainly there for the sake of receiving that sort of offering or thanksgiving unto God, and certainly <laughs> the, the wife's sister, Paniah, was very fruitful and obviously then was very loyal to (laughs) because of her husband was very loyal the house that she was part of her and her husband the union was very loyal to do this thing at the same time however Hannah wasn't, maybe that was part of Eli. Maybe he knew more of the story that I would give him credit for. Maybe he thought, well, I know she's got to be drunk some, for good reason. Because she didn't have any kids. I, I don't know. I don't want to take a lot away from Eli. But he didn't get it right. Now, another interesting part of all this was that as much 
there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophan of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, Elkanai, or Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Aphrathite. All of that really was to set up the fact, too, that he was of the tribe of Levi, the house of Levi. And that was of the priesthood, too. So Eli was, I'm not going to go through Elkanah, his uh, birth line or lineage again, but that's why all those names that I have difficulty pronouncing, and I have an a audio Bible, so I have somebody reading them. It's still hard to, when I read them, to remember exactly the right pronunciation. But at the same time, he was of the tribe of Levi. He knew. <laughs> it's sort of the David thing. Um, Saul was the king, but David was the better. And with that then, though this is of that priesthood, even though Eli was the high priest or the priest, the judge at the time, and not Elkanah or Elkanah, but it was to be God's will that of that same house, the next judge... Certainly one who turns out to be a bit more established, at least by intention of Hannah, would then take over. Eli was old and it was going to be time. But the problem with Eli was that unfortunately, unlike Hannah, who made that very clear, that she was not of Belel, Unfortunately, Eli's kids were. And how do we know that? Because we can go to 1 Samuel, and I believe it's chapter 3. Let's go back to 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. We know that there was something, and even with First Samuel chapter 1, we know there was something not right about Hophni and Phinehas. And how do we know that? Because it is, I did have that right, it is in First Samuel, I believe it's chapter 2, but it's verse 12, that it says quite specifically that the two were I'm finding it here now the sons of Eli verse 12 were sons of Belial they knew not the Lord and the priest's customs with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething and with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot all that the flesh hook brought up the priest took for himself so they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites they came thither 
Also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest. For he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man say unto him, or said unto, said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth. Then he would answer, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So Hophni and Phinehas were not good. They were of Belial, which is really the devil. And with that, as much Hannah declared she was not, that's important too. Because Hannah was not, again, Elkanah, or Elkanah was of the house of Levi. He was offering homage or thanksgiving to the Lord through Levi because Levi was not only the priest that Elkanah came to, his family came to, to give thanksgiving unto God by offering this sacrifice of their own unto the Lord. But that in that, Eli had two sons that were already corrupted and were of Belial and was messing with the sacrifices. And what was it that they were doing? I read it to you. That may or may not have any relevance to our life today except in this. They were taking stuff for themselves. They were not allowing the first fruit blessing to go into the Lord. They were the middlemen. And with that, they were stealing for their own profiteering. And not only did that, did they do that, as with these offerings that were being brought into the Lord and then put on the sacrifice, the fat burnt, as the passage speaks to it, the cauldron, the flesh, the flesh hooks. But these guys were sleeping with women. And that would be the same women who came to the Lord offering sacrifice. And with that, then what were they creating? <laughs> More of the same. Now, I, I'm not saying Eli did that. I'm not saying that Eli taught them that. I'm not saying that Eli wasn't a good judge, although we really don't know much about Eli until we get to this passage, but we do know he was. And I'll go back to David and Saul. We know that Saul had a shot at it, but he did not do it the right way. He did it out of his own, same kind of motive, desires, not God's, not God's way. And then that's why David... Samuel had to <laughs> go and get another king at God's instruction. And why David became the king and Saul gave up the throne. And why there was so much, even so, animosity between Saul and David. And we could go to Jesus and the devil. I mean, there's just this pattern. It's there. But it's good and evil. It's God and the devil. Uh, all of those type of things we know are very familiar with. 
But there's no question Hannah was of the Lord. There's no question her prayers and her intentions were to serve God. And that's why I believe that on the surface, it seemed she was unfruitful. It wasn't. And she became quite a few fruitful after Eli blessed her. And I want to again say this, unbeknownst to him, because I don't think he did that out of any greater motive than what it was that, unfortunately, he didn't create in his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, all the evil that they were doing of their father, Belial. But he was too passive. He didn't embrace it. He was just going through the motions of judging. And you could say, well, he did judge rightly, or at least he did judge properly. But that's sort of like saying, okay, well, we'll just live by the Old Testament. We know what the rules are, but the rules don't really affect righteousness. What affects righteousness is the heart. It's the New Testament. It's Jesus. But what is Jesus? He is the Christ. And with that, what does he do? He gives us a new heart. It's prophesied in the Old Testament that God would then once again restore the relationship between his people and himself. And with that, establish a king eternally and forever. But it was not going to be a superficial one that was just doing it out of either good intentions, out of some sort of, well, I'll do this, I'll do that. I'll make it work. Again, even as a father, you can't do that. (laughs) Because I steal my son from the Lord. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to teach him the ways of the Lord. I'm going to example the ways of the Lord. But more than that, I'm going to allow the passion that's in my heart to anoint that. Uh, Eli wasn't doing that. And you just can't. You can set it all up. You can go to church. You can raise them in the way of the Lord. You can teach them the rights from the wrongs. The good from the evil. You can pick the one that you think is going to be the brightest. You think is going to know the word. Or maybe the one that did grow up in church. (laughs) Sang in the choir. Thought the Sunday school classes was part of the youth group. But that's not how God works. It's not a superficial anointing. It's a heart anointing. But the good news is it's in you. It's in them. It's in him, my son. It's in me. But my great testimony can't just be words. Don't do that. I have to be at least as passionate as hopefully I'm coming across as on the podcast. And I am dramatic and either you forgive me or you hate me for it. I apologize. It's like asking me whether I've been a good dad or a bad dad. I'm an emotional person. I'm sorry. It's just my heart. That's just the way that my system works. I try to contain it. I try to keep it in the right place. I try not to inappropriately contaminate others with it. I try not to do it out of selfishness. But there's no greater desire in me than my son would serve the Lord. (laughs) I'm not 
going to overload him with my emotions, but he needs to know. And how is he going to know? I'm going to lay down my life for Jesus if I can, because I want to. I'm going to give myself to God if I can, because I want to. Even the things I don't want to do, I'm going to do them, but I'm not going to do them just because I have to. Or because God says so. I'm going to do that to the best of my abilities. And that includes sometimes some motive, emotion. I'm not creating it. I'm unleashing it. There's a struggle within me at times to do the right thing. That's just honest and that's true. But I'm not going to go brain dead, or at least heart dead. And in that, then brain dead and just do what I'm told. Because that's not how it works. Hophni and Phinehas were doing what they wanted to do. But they knew better. Why? Because somehow Eli didn't have the passion that Hannah had. Eli did not have the desire that Hannah had. Eli did not do it, (laughs) his judging, out of the changed heart. Now, again, arguably so, easily. You can make the argument, well, he was Old Testament. Jesus wasn't there. But the Holy Spirit was. How do I know it? Because Hannah had it. (laughs) It was in her heart. Now, you could say, well, I don't think she knew that. I'm not sure she knew that either. But she knew enough about the Lord. (laughs) How do I know that? Because we're going to go back to 1 Samuel. and I'm going to read you her prayer so you'll know. And these are words. And again, the words maybe don't capture the heart quite as accurately. There's no words you can put to that level of love. Either for God... For his purposes, that you would even name your son uh, in that sort of way that I have, my wife and I have. You can't put words on it. My son is so young, I'm not even sure he understands it all. I wish he'd come to it as early as Samuel did when he was in the house at Eli. There's so much to the story. I wish that I could spend time telling you about. But for the short condensed version and at the risk of you not getting the full message, maybe you have the full message, maybe this is unnecessary, but for me to have any, again, I'm a man of reservation, concerns about that, I will say this though. Eli did not make Samuel who Samuel was. God made Samuel who Samuel was, but it was through Hannah and it was through Elkanah and it wasn't through Eli, but Samuel had to go into the house of Eli so that he might rightly inherit his birthright. And what was that? What was it that Hannah had some knowledge of prior to? Even seeing the child that allowed her, as I read in the passage earlier in the podcast today, to walk away quite content knowing fully well that the blessing of Eli was not from Eli but was from God because Eli had no really, I don't think, heart at that point for it. He certainly didn't, again, understand what this was all about in the way that Hannah did 
even if Hannah didn't know how it was going to turn out, she knew one thing. In her heart, God had laid it upon her to commit her son to the service of God. And that Eli, that Samuel, had to connect in some ways. And the best way she knew was to take her first fruits to Eli and offer them. But it wasn't Eli, it was God. And Eli did not make Samuel who he was because he couldn't make his sons. Those that he should have had that great passion for. What's he going to do with the rest of the people? I don't want to trash him. I don't want it to sound like I'm putting Eli down. I'm just trying to point out, you can do this through your head. You can do this by knowing the word forward and backwards, upwards and downwards. You can do this by studying. You can do this through degrees of education and knowledge. You could do this from the first moment you set foot in church, doing all the right things, but it will not save you. What saves you is to unleash again your heart. Allow your heart to be freed. It's not emotion, but it's not going to come without emotion or it's not going to have motive. Emote, moat, motive, emotive, motive. Heart, motion, action. You're not going to bear fruit unless your heart is redeemed. Unless you're alive in the Lord. You have some passion. Because you're not going to then in any way, shape, or form, stir up the gift in others, more so your own kids. If you're parenting and you're still at that point, it's okay. Tell them how much you love the Lord. Tell them why you named them, what you named them. Tell them what your vision is. Tell them what your hope is. Tell them what your desire is. Show them your heart. How much you believe in them, but how more so you believe that God's going to deliver them unto what they're called to. Whatever that is. It may not be a priest. And they may not even be service in the church. But that doesn't matter as much as what matters is whenever they're given the opportunity to tell people about Jesus, they will. But they won't if you don't. If you're not there, get there. I know it's in you. Let it out of you. Get there. Turn the Holy Spirit loose. Let him be freed to do what he knows God wants done. In the life, your life, but also in the life of your family. Whether you're a mom or you're a dad. You might even be extended family. Maybe grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle. It's a joint effort at times, but it only takes one. Hannah knew once Eli agreed, it was going to happen. And she didn't come visit him a lot. She brought him a coat, a little coat, it says in the King James. Every year she loved him. I'm sure she missed him. I'm sure that she was very fruitful after that point. He was her most special. He was her first fruit. But if you give it to God, God will give it back to you. But he'll give your heart's desires. And as a parent, it should be to serve him. You want your child to serve God. You want him to be saved. It's important. And so all of this, as much as Hannah had that in her heart, is articulated 
as best as it could be, I'm sure. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. And this was, of course, after the fruit. <laughs> and this is, again, not only do you offer your first fruits materially, the things that God had given you, you do that in faith, but then you get to claim it <laughs> afterwards too. You get to rejoice in, oh, God's going to do something great with this because I'm giving it out of my heart, not because I have to. I'm giving it out of my heart. <sighs> I'm not giving it to a man that's going to corrupt it. I'm giving it to God. But you get to... Enjoy that and celebrate that. And this is a celebratory prayer. But it's no different, I'm sure, than her intent in the beginning. She just has a better, again, ability at this point to understand it. And to, once more, articulate it. It's a testimony. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more, so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows, because he put it in you. And by him actions are weighed. He is the ultimate of judges. He knows where the blessing is because he put it there. He doesn't have to judge it after the fact. He establishes it. And this is just Hannah's acknowledgement, recognition. Oh, God had this all planned all along. It's so awesome. It's so great. God knew that I wasn't barren. Oh, it's awesome and great. I'm not barren. I can serve the Lord in this way. The bows or bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They who were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they who were hungry cease to hunger, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she, <laughs> Penea, Penina, and she, let me find where I'm at here, who hath many children languisheth. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the refuse to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. And this is where they've left Samuel with Eli. Now, there's beautiful verses, right? That came out of the mouth of Hannah. 
What did Hannah know about any of that? You said, well, it's her great desire, which is what I'm contending in her best of knowledge and understanding. In again, from the house of Levi, her traditions, her inheritance, as far as her heritage goes, her service unto her Lord, the Lord, unto her husband, and then with that, the call of that family unto the Lord to be obedient unto God, to do that first fruits unto Eli, not only once, but annually, as with the sacrifice, but in this way, the greatest of fruits for her. She had no child, and this was her child. And though she could have gone the other way, I don't know if I have another one. I better keep this one. I'm going to maybe hold this back. She didn't hold anything back. She was a person of her word. And so this is a bit prophetic about Samuel. But this is more prophetic about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is more prophetic about the Jesus to come. The Christ to come. Who will then rightly inherit not only the kingdom, the judgment, the king of this world. But he is in that same way at the right hand of the Father in heavenly and spiritual dimensions. He is God himself. He is the highest of priests, the highest order of, of whatever the Levites, Aaron, was to have been. And as much as Eli was to have been that, Eli was just showing you he wasn't that. Again, we can give him some, cut him some slack, show him some Love, kindness, and grace, and mercy, because he wasn't the Christ, and he wasn't supposed to be. Jesus is. But here it is, Hannah, speaking words that Eli should have. Here it is, Hannah, that was prophesying amongst all the prophets in the word of God. There is none that captures the prophecy of Christ any greater than what fell out of Hannah's mouth in her prayer. It's in us all, folks. It's not just the name. It's not, it's not just Samuel, the great prophet. He too was a judge. He was the highest order of that Christ figure. I think he was an apostle to the extent or degree that he must have had an audience. Maybe the audience with God. I know he had an audience with God. But the audience with Christ as with apostle. Maybe came from Hannah, because it was in her passion, in her unleashing of the Holy Spirit, in her being moved to the prayer, the intent of her heart manifest now in thanksgiving, what she'd prayed all along, it all lined up, and here he was, the closest thing to Jesus to that date there had ever been. It's the same. Except now we know the Christ. We are apostles. We have a relationship with Jesus. It's out of the Holy Spirit in us. Unleash the Holy Spirit in you. And should that be then, not only for you and the fruit that you might bear in that testimony way, but definitely... Want that for your kids. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back a second time. And we want them to be there. We want them to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We want them to be part of that. That's my desire. Samuel Aaron's purpose. 
I would want to be to serve God in that way, my son. And I hope that that's your desire. But you've got to want it. And you've got to communicate that. And you've got to do more than just sit around and do the right thing. You have to be moved by God. Is it all emotion? No. But if you don't put some passion behind it, they're going to miss it. There's way too much drama in the world. There's way too much things that otherwise are of the devil. There's much to the lust of the flesh that, unfortunately, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had fallen into. Eli didn't offer them the better, not just in intellect, but he could not offer them the genuine, sincere heart that's always the testimony of Christ, that is always the best witness, that is always the only way you're going to lead anybody to Jesus. You can tell them about Jesus, but if you don't show them Jesus in that complete, total package way, your sold out heart, mind, and spirit, soul and spirit, they're just going, oh well, the Apostle Paul could not do it. Mars Hill. The Greeks were all about the head stuff. What chance do you have unless you get them early and you get them passionately and you love them passionately and you're vitally involved, as with life, with them from the very beginning and you walk that walk, you do the journey and it's not just while they're growing up, it's throughout their life. But this is a clarion call to all parents. Don't be Eli. Be Hannah. And more so, be God to them. Show them everything that they could possibly understand until they get to that age of accountability when they can make the decision for themselves to give their life to Jesus. Show them everything that they can understand. It's going to be processed until they come to that point of accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior, allowing that in that same way of unleashing the Holy Spirit even in them. You're it. But don't stop. Keep praying. They may not be young adults anymore. They may be middle-aged. They may even be older. But don't stop praying. And if you got grandkids, which I'm hoping for soon, not too soon, soon, soon enough, I'm going to do the same thing. But I do believe even as Hannah, it's going to happen because God's told me it would. That's faith. has to be walked out. Take some time, but you got to believe. And if not for you, and should you be barren for whatever reason, it's not because you're not a good person, but it should you chosen not to have kids, should you not be able to do it for all the children. And if you should have kids, do it for all the children. Suffer the little children to come unto me, Jesus says. That's our job. That's our calling. But don't do it like Eli. Now, do I say this to all the parents that come to me for counseling? I do. (laughs) I don't get to say it quite the same way I get to say it to you on the podcast because you're listening because you want to hear it. You're a believer. Not everyone that comes sees me is a Christian. (laughs) I give it to them 
in the measure and the dose that they can receive it. I become all things to all men and women so that I might win them over to Christ. But if you've got an audience that's are believers, you got if I got a counselee that comes in that's a believer, you better believe it. <laughs> I'm gonna give them everything. And I'm going to trust that even if I can't give them the word of God because they're going to reject it out of their intellect, I still give them my heart, my mind, my soul, my spirit. And that's the two great commandments. Love God with all the heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And then love others. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to do the ultimately all that I can in the same way that I would do it for my son for them. And if I'm working with kids, I'm going to do it in the same way. Because I do believe that's not only me, it's God. Unless I would try to steal them (laughs) from God, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep taking them back to God and showing them God and showing them God, God being love, God in them. But I'm certainly not going to just passively say, oh, well, you know, it is the world we live in and people think this way and that way and it's okay and we don't have to be passionate about anything and heaven forbid that you take a strong stand. Let them grow up the way they want to. Let them be whatever they want to. In the end, it doesn't matter because in grace doctrine, (laughs) it's a little bit of a... A jab, I apologize. But some people take that to the extent of meaning you can just love them and they'll turn out okay. No, it doesn't work that way. Everything you do should be in grace and mercy, the love of God in Christ Jesus. But you've got to minister the truth. And you've got to do that with integrity. And even if they don't agree with it intellectually, they're going to pay attention because you believe in it. Not intellectually only. You believe in it passionately. Where are the words of life? They're in your passion. Where was Jesus? What was his greatest? It was in testimony of life, of what he believed. It was not in all the words he spoke. It was in the actions. He laid down his life for all of us. That's what brings you to the cross. That's what convinces you in Jesus. There's a power greater in you than he that is in the world to overcome the world and to do whatever you need to do to unleash the Holy Spirit. Do it. That's what we try to do in counseling. Unleash the Holy Spirit. I try to do it on the podcast. I hope that that comes across somewhat. And I hope, I don't know again, if uh, anybody out there would say I do it well, just like with parenting. But I'm going to keep doing it the way I'm doing it because I believe God has told me it works. I've seen it work. But he's told me what he's given me, if I give it in the way that he's chosen me to give it, (laughs) I might not get them all. But I'm going to get the ones that I need to get in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to do the best I can to turn them to Christ. And then, should they be turned to Christ, I'm going to build them up in Christ. That's what the podcast is all about. Should you want to reach out to us, though, you can find us online at covenantsonline.com. You can find us on Facebook at Covenants. You can call 304-528-9220. Let's see if I left something out there. 
I don't think so. You can come back, though. Should I have left something out? Forgive me. You can come back, though, for the next edition of What is Covenants? Specialized pastoral care services, Christian counseling ministry with Dave Clay. And until then, God bless. And thanks. Thanks.